Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Aren't you glad to be part of a generous people, a generous family, the family of God? You know, we ought to be the most generous people on the planet, I think. I read it somewhere. I read it in a book somewhere. <laughs> you know, we love because he first loved us. And so we get to give. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. Today is the beginning of Passion Week. This is Palm Sunday. And so um, as, as we go into this week, I'm, I'm really excited about this series we've been in, um, the gospel. What is the gospel? In the first week, we talked about the simplicity of the gospel. God gave, or Jesus gave two um, prophetic acts to the church, the early church, that everybody could understand their ancient acts that we've continued to do. You know, two millennia later, we're still doing communion and water baptism. How many of y'all were here for the water baptisms a couple of weeks ago? Wasn't that fun? I say, Lord, do it again. Keep doing it. And so, the next week, uh, last week, we talked a little bit about the, not only the simplicity of the gospel, but the enormity of the gospel of the kingdom. How many of you know that the gospel of the kingdom is not only good news, but it's enormous news? And we talked about what does that look like to live on the right side of the cross and all that entails to live love, to live full, to live free, right? That's what God's called us to be, to live generously. We can just keep coming with the, the adjectives to describe who God wants us to be. Today, I want us to do something a little more interesting though. We're going to be talking about the paradox of the gospel, of the gospel, the paradox of the gospel. I, I felt like I heard the Lord say to me this week, my gospel is a paradoxical gospel. And I thought, what does, well, I'm not even sure what that means. So I, I looked it up. Let's, let's put it up on the screen. Here's what the word paradox means. It means this. It means a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or event that when investigated may prove to be true. Let me say that one more time. A paradox is a seemingly absurd self-contradictory statement or event that when it's investigated actually proves to be true. Now, is that a good description of the central piece of the gospel called the cross? I mean, it's a paradox, right? I mean, how does that, how does that work that God comes to planet earth, he dies on a cross so that we can go free? Well, I don't know if you've read the book, but there are a lot of paradoxes, a lot of kingdom paradoxes. How many know that we live in an upside down kingdom? See, the world, world says that, hey, you take care of yourself. You get what you can. If you got a car that runs, okay, that's good. The kingdom of God says, no, even though you might not have, it might not be convenient, we need to give so that we can take care of our family, right? It, you know, we get, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's one of the paradoxes of the kingdom, right? How about this one? In order to truly live, you must die. Okay, that, that's uh, not, not an everyday thing, right? How about this one? The way up 
is down. You want to go high, go low, right? That's, that's very different. This is an upside down kingdom. How about this one? Every resurrection season, we're in resurrection season, right? Sunday is coming, but for every resurrection season, it's preceded by death, burial, and then resurrection, right? Some of you look like, like you don't, don't believe me necessarily. I, you know, when I was thinking about that last one, I began to think, okay, is that, is that really true in Scripture? And so I began to think about key people in Scripture. For instance, uh, Abraham. How many of you remember Abraham? Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons had, you know, Father Abraham. So Father Abraham, Abram gets his name changed to Abraham, which means father of nations. But Abe has a problem. What is his problem? He and Ms. Abe can't get pregnant, right? He's already really, really old when God tells him that. He dies to that idea. I mean, 20 plus years go, and guess what happens? Resurrection. And Abraham at the age of 50 becomes a father of many, many nations through through his son, uh, Jacob, who becomes Israel, right? How about uh, Joseph? You remember Joseph? Joseph's the young boy at, at about 17 years of age. He has this dream. Everybody's gonna bow down to him. That dream doesn't immediately take place. His good brothers, they put him, they sell him into slavery. And if, if, if you've got a family like that, you know, that's, not, that's already a bad start, Right? And, and he, he goes into slavery. He ends up being uh, falsely accused, abused, ends up in prison. And then 13 years later, he becomes the second highest ranking official in all of Egypt, right? I mean, there's just story after story about resurrection that takes place. How about Moses? Moses is 40 years on the backside of nowhere working for his father-in-law. Yeah, that's, that's a bummer, taking care of sheep and all that. And God says, okay, you're, you're about ready. You're 80 years old. You, you pick it up on the age thing. God likes to take seasoned people, people that have been prepared, people that are willing to persevere, people that are willing to go through it. And then he says, Moses, just about the time Moses is, is in starting to enjoy his retirement years, God says, back in action, boy. Yeah, he, he, Moses was not expecting a comeback, I don't think, right? And so he goes and he becomes the, the great deliverer. His life message, his kingdom calling is enacted. And it's over and over and over. David, the little run out in the field who has uh, Saul and 3,000 men, full-time job just to kill David. That's not a good way to live. And then resurrection comes and he becomes the king of Judah and the king of Israel. He becomes the king of the whole deal, the greatest king ever in the history of Israel. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, what, what does this have to, you're waiting on resurrection. You're waiting on that thing that God's created you to do. But I wanna say, hold on. It, it might feel like Friday, but Sunday's coming. Amen. You know? A lot of times we look at it in the cross and the, it might seem like Friday, but we know what's coming. You remember Peter? Peter's a great example, right? I'll give you a couple of New Testament examples. Peter gets the keys of the kingdom. 
handed to him. You remember that? Some of you don't know by Rocky, you're going, I'm going to build my king upon this rock. I'm going to build my kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And everybody went, yeah. And then what does he do? He gives them back and he just goes kind of like this. He denies Jesus. And then guess who gets to preach Pentecost sermon? Peter. Peter, I mean, filled with the Holy Spirit, resurrection takes, I mean, it looks like he is totally off the track. What about Saul of Tarsus? one of the most brilliant theological minds of all time. And Saul is out killing Christians and he has this encounter. He gets knocked off his high horse, doesn't he? Resurrection comes to him. I believe God wants to do the same thing in us today. Look at Jesus now. We're gonna, we're gonna get to the, the originator of this whole process. It's a pattern you see. The whole pattern of death, burial, resurrection. The question is, where are you at in that process right now, okay? Let's take a look at the scripture here in Matthew 27. And the stage is Jesus is hanging on the cross, okay? And Jesus says this, he says, it's, the scripture says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land. Put yourself in the setting, put yourself in the scene. It's dark, in the whole land, it's dark. And the scripture says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthini, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it, it, it's Friday in this scenario. It's dark. What were all of the people that were around the cross in real time thinking? Ponder that for just a second. What do you think they were thinking? Can I tell you what they were not thinking? They were not thinking, well, man, this is a great picture of victory over Satan, sin, and death. There was nobody thinking that except maybe one guy. He was also hanging on a cross. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Maybe one guy, but none of the others had that idea. The truth is, Jesus appeared to be a failure. Now, I know in, we're, we're kind of conditioned to think otherwise. Jesus is the ultimate success. He succeeded in everything he did all the time, right? It's just kind of how we believe. Jesus, but can I tell you, to all the people that were there, he appeared to be a failure. There are some of us in this place sitting across every pew they're feeling, man, I, I feel like a failure. Can I tell you, it's Friday. It's Friday. Saturday, Sunday's coming. And so the truth is Jesus died an apparent failure in the eyes of everybody all around him. He had failed in, his, in light of his calling, in light of his mission. Let that sink in. No one thought he had... 
I know you're thinking it, I, I, you're thinking, you know, but Easter is coming. Easter is coming, man, and it's all gonna be good. But I wanna, I wanna encourage you. In, in the next few minutes, can we do this? Can we just slow down and take a slow walk around the cross? Can we do that? You know, you know the early Christian fathers they had enough insight into this to say, we're gonna take 40 days Lent season to examine ourselves, to look at the cross and learn all that we can from the cross. There, there's a reason why the symbol of Christianity across the world is the cross. It really is. Some of you don't believe me, you're thinking, well, man, let's get to resurrection. We're gonna get to resurrection Sunday. And I promise you, man, you invite everybody. Let's fill this place up. We're, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. But let's take a look at Friday for just, just a bit here. See, we, we Christians, we don't, we don't like to do that. We, we like a gospel that looks like this. We got, we got Jesus born in a manger, God in flesh, incarnate, Christmas time. And then we like to skip all the way to Easter. Skip over all those bumps out. Let's get on with it. Let's get him out of the grave. He's Lord, rock on. Right? Can I tell you, that is not the full gospel story. Now, I made a comment when we first started the series. If your gospel is not good news, then you don't have the gospel. Can I tell you, you're gonna walk away this morning going, wow, that's good news. That's really good news. But can I tell you what? You're gonna to have to change the way you think. You're gonna to have to, do, everybody ready to repent today? Change your way of thinking and come into alignment with God's thinking on this. Because can I tell you, it's paradoxical. It's absurd. It doesn't make a bit of sense in our natural noggin. But that's why I've been praying all week. Lord, reveal some things about the cross that we can't get in our own reasoning. You know, so... I like what Brian Zahn says. He says, Jesus did what he did, not by achieving success, but by dying a failure. Let me say that again. Jesus did what he did, not by achieving success, but by dying a failure. First, first layer of repentance is that our culture has taught us, has conditioned us that, well, let me just say, we're a success-crazed culture. Do you realize that the word success is not even found one time in the entire New Testament? Did you know that? Success is a contemporary word. It's, it's an American word that we're, we're taken with. We're, we're infatuated with it. We... we well, it's American idols, pun intended. <laughs> Success is our American idol. And so Jesus had a different metric, if you will. See, if we follow the focus on success, it will always lead us astray. But Jesus never called us to be successful. 
He called us to be faithful. Right on? Is that a different way of thinking? That's absurd already, right? Jesus never called us to be successful. He called us to be faithful. Now, here's the interesting thing, that on, on the way, faithfulness often looks like failure until Easter comes. Faithfulness, integrity. Have you known people and you go, that is one of the most faithful person I know, a, very, a man of, a person of integrity. It just doesn't seem like things go well for him though. Can I tell you what? The story's not written yet. It's not completed. Some, some of you who wish you could flip the script on your own life, God's saying, oh, just hold on. See, Abraham was an old dude whenever resurrection came. Moses was an old dude when resurrection came, right? You just go right on down the list. There's some things that are, that, that, that are uh, refined in us at the cross. I want you to think about this. What happens at Easter is that Good Friday or, re- or Crucifixion Friday is seen in a new light. See, it's almost like you, you gotta look way out yonder to really understand what happened back here. When we look through the lens of Easter and resurrection, then Good Friday begins to make sense. It's interesting that whenever the apostles give their account of what happened, it's, it's, it's incomplete, but whenever Saul of Tarsus, Paul, the great theologian comes along, he makes sense of what happened at the cross for us. See, Easter makes us go back to Good Friday and reevaluate what we saw, what we think. And, that, and that's what I want to do today. I want us to reevaluate. So let's not skip over the cross because then you get a theology of success and you miss a theology of the crucified God. And so... I wanna just tell the story of Jesus through a little bit different lens. Can I do that? The, the lens of, of an unbeliever, if you will, somebody who doesn't have a lot of the coloring that we have because we know the end of the story. It could go something like this. There was a man who was a peasant, a prophet, a poet, a preacher, And around the age of 20 or 30, he began to preach and announce the rule and reign of God had come and was present on planet earth. God's kingdom was a kingdom, is a kingdom of love and peace. How many of you know if you preach love and peace you will meet some resistance. This man had a great gift for working miracles, especially healing the sick, and great masses of people began to follow him, particularly in the rural areas where there were other peasants. He told provocative stories. He healed the sick and set people free from demons and announced that God was breaking into the world and doing things in a new way, a government of love and peace. 
About two years into this movement around this peasant, it, it became thousands of people that were following him, maybe tens of thousands. But then the man began to say things that were regarded as controversial. On one occasion, he said something especially controversial and he lost most of his followers. Only the hardcore disciples stayed with him and it looked like the glory days, the days of popularity had gone. It appeared that his success was over. Officials, both religious and civil, began to scrutinize his every move. They began to surveil, do surveillance on him. They began to keep tabs on this itinerant poet, prophet. Finally, the poet preacher comes to the capital city and all his followers, followers come together to rally support and they have what, is, what amounts to a big parade in his honor to announce the coming king. The place was excited, but within a week, within a week, the entire city turned against him. He was arrested, many of his followers deserted him. He was convicted in a religious court of heresy and blasphemy. He was convicted in a criminal court of treason. He was sentenced to execution on a cross. At his execution, of all those thousands of people that had been his followers, the only ones that showed up to support him, one disciple, his mom, and some women who were probably mostly his relatives. Among his last words on the cross were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was 33 years old. Now that could be an epitaph written about the life of Jesus from Capernaum to Calvary, correct? That's, is, is, is there anything historically incorrect about what was just said? There are a lot of us that are living life and we don't yet know the full meaning and impact of our lives because it's still Friday. Sunday, Easter Sunday has not come yet. When you evaluate Jesus' life, you look back over his life and you say, what did his life count for? By this telling, it amounts to very little. He left no writings that people could one day look, oh wow, look, look at these incredible writings. 
the movement that, he, that was started around him had fizzled out. One of his best friends had betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Another, the chief leader of his group of disciples, denied him. And the rest of the bunch were disillusioned, heart sick, heartbroken. This is how Jesus dies. I I want you to feel it. It's not pretty. I haven't even used any of the descriptions of the floggings that he took and the spear in his side and the nails in his hand. I haven't given a description of any of that. It, just from an emotional level, the loneliness that he must have felt, the sadness that he must have felt, the feeling that I poured into these people for all this time. See, Again, we can't, let's don't, let's don't hurry to victory just yet. Let, let's take some time to feel and to learn from the pain of the cross. Why? If you don't get anything else, this is what I want you to get. The cross is the portal, the gateway, the entrance to the gospel of the kingdom. It's a place of hopelessness. It's a place of helplessness. And it's a place of death. Hopelessness, helplessness, and death. And the truth is, every one of us have to go through that portal to get to the kingdom. Do you come to that place of saying, oh God, God, if you don't come through, I'm not gonna make it. That's what's going on at the cross. The cross presents a place for us to die to ourselves so that God's grace can be released. See, the Bible says that on numerous occasions, it says that God opposes He becomes an opponent of our pride. That's one thing we all got in common. But he releases grace to the humble. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm not gonna, I'm tempted to, but I'm not gonna preach that passage that Jesus is referring to in Psalm 22, because we have that on other tapes, you can go and listen to it. What is Jesus saying in this though? Is Jesus saying, oh God, you have totally abandoned me, you've given up on me? No, he's not saying that. In fact, if you, if you read on through it, you, you hear in Psalm twenty-two twenty-four. It says this, which is the body of what Jesus is saying, communicating. He says, you, Father, have not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. You have not hidden your face from him, but have listened to his cry for help. 
from you comes the theme of my praise. The psalmist says, this is a prophetic word of what will happen. And Father is not abandoned Jesus. Instead, it's a picture of Jesus identifying with us. It's him connecting with us. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. This is good though. <laughs> He's not abandoning us. It's about him identifying with our pain and, and what we go through. Until we can see the cross in that light that Jesus says, I love you this much. I would rather die than kill you because Jonathan Edwards has the absolute most famous message in American history. Does anybody know what the title of that message is? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I, I, I won't take the time to preach it because it's, it's kind of gory. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Can I tell you what's going on at the cross? God is in the hands of angry sinners. That's what's happening. Jesus is saying, I love you that much that I will die in your place at the hand, at your hand. I want you to listen to this. This son who identifies with our pain and our struggle, he's a good high priest. Let's take a look at this scripture here in, in Hebrews 4. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's what's going on. Jesus is saying, I'm empathizing with everything you've ever gone through, but I know my father and I will not reject the reality of who he is. Look at this other passage. This is what the writer of Hebrews continues. And the next one, this is in Hebrews 2. It says, since the children of God have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too shared in their humanity, the God-man, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He says that one of the things of the, of, of the cross is it, it brings freedom from the power of the devil. That's what's going on at the cross. Verse 15, he says, not only that, but to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Freedom over the power of death. Look at verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service 
to God. Nothing in there about success. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Even, even what, what seems absurd in all of that, Jesus is accomplishing his purpose. It's our perspective as we look at the cross through the lens of Easter Sunday and we see, oh my, he's accomplishing it all on our behalf. But it's so contrary to the way that humanity and his fallenness lives that we miss the whole thing. Listen to the last verse. He says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are also being tempted. Jesus said, I went to the cross, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, to be your advocate, to be your go-between, to be the mediator between God the Father and God the Son. A covenant unlike any covenant in, that you find in Scripture. It's called the new covenant. It's a covenant, a once-for-all sacrifice. A sacrifice to end all sacrifices. That happened at the cross. And so, Jesus can never say, God, you've forsaken me in a literal sense, but he could say it in an emotional sense. And I bet you have felt the abandonment of God yourself, haven't you? See, the truth of the matter is, Jesus feels what we feel about eight billion times over. Let that sink in. Jesus is feeling, he's identifying with us to that place. So, what does Jesus do at the end of his apparently failed ministry? Anybody got a clue? Well, he tells us. He says the only thing that he can do is to put all of this back in the Father's hands. He says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. That's a new look at the cross, isn't it? Humanity that has never experienced the demonstrated love of God will miss it every time. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet those angry sinners, Christ died for us. Now, it's late Friday afternoon, then it's Friday night, and then it's all day Saturday, and, and then it happened. Easter happened. Jesus is raised from the dead as Lord. Joel, I'm not gonna go too much further. Everything that he taught, everything that he modeled, everything he proclaimed about this kingdom, this new government, suddenly was back in play. Suddenly, everything changed. What we thought was over turns out to be actually the beginning. Anybody here need a new beginning? 
I'm going to give you something that will set you free. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's good news. See, the cross appears just heinous. That's the man part. I'm going to give you the glorious part. That's the God part. See, a new beginning, the cross is the starting place. It's the portal. It's the doorway. It's the entrance. It's the crossroads, as if you will. We come to crossroads in our lives and we, we're not sure what to do. We're in the valley of decision. What, what do I do? And the cross gives us the answer. You must go through death in order to receive resurrection life. It, it, it might feel like Friday. Sunday's coming. Jesus said it this way. The resurrection doesn't begin until the grain falls into the ground and dies. Feeling like a failure. It remains only a seed until it dies, then it produces many seeds. Jesus speaks that in John 12, just before he goes to the cross. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, man, I'm all about the long haul. I'm all about a viral move of my spirit. But it takes the death and the planting, the burial of that seed so that it can come up and bear fruit that only one seed could not do. So why is the cross the symbol of Christianity? It's the portal. It's the portal to eternal life. It's the portal to God's demonstrated love. It's the portal to forgiveness and freedom. I want us to take a look at Colossians chapter two. Team, you guys can begin to come forward. The cross is the beginning of the decisive victory over Satan, sin, death, and the law, the old covenant. I want you to see this. Paul writes it this way. He said, when you were dead in your sins, somebody says, that's me. The circumcision, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. That's good news. He forgave all of your sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. All the laws you broke, all the things you've done, everything that you have committed in your heart against anyone or against him, taken care of it. Now, in the invisible realm, it says, having disarmed the powers, the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The, the invitation this morning is really pretty simple. It's an invitation to die. 
to come to the cross and die to yourself. Some go, I don't think that's a good trade. Listen to this. Paul says it like this. Paul said, here's the invitation. Here's what it means to be a Christian. He said, I'll just tell you my story. I am crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Life that I now live by my flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. See, that's the invitation right there, okay? If you're here this morning and you'd say, I'd like to accept that invitation, that's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be in Christ, is to say, I acknowledge the reality of what is, what Jesus did for me on the cross 2,000 years ago to forgive me, to free me from sin. And my role is just to embrace it, surrender into it, receive Him. If that's you and you'd say, I would like to do that today. I would like to receive what Jesus paid for me. See, there, there's some of you here today, you need to receive all the benefits of the cross, okay? There's a reason why we call this outfit Sozo. Because it explains what the cross did to save, heal, deliver, make us whole. That all happened on the cross. That's what Jesus did. I'm gonna ask if our prayer team would make their way to this back area over here to your right, my left here, to, to your right there in the back. We're gonna do it a little differently today because we want you guys, oh, we're gonna do it in front? Okay, front and back. So you got, you self-serve, whatever you wanna go to, okay? So we're gonna, gonna be in both spots here. And this morning, if you're here and you'd say, I want to receive what Jesus has done for me. I want you just to stand up, okay? Amen, amen, amen. And here's what I want you to do. I'd like you to make this declaration. In fact, what I'd like to do, we got people standing up. I'd like us all to stand up and make this declaration. Because I'm assuming that if you didn't stand up initially, you've said yes to Jesus, but it's good to be reminded of who we are, right? And so I, I want us to just declare the reality of Galatians 2.20 of what Paul said. You heard me say it. If you can agree with it, I want you just to repeat after me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God. Don't you feel better? Don't you feel lighter? Lord, just have your way in this midst. Whatever it is you need this morning, come and receive in Jesus' name.